Three, two, one. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Title Side, Chicago Title, Oklahoma's podcast. Co-host Ken McBride. How are you today, Ken? Doing great, David. How are you? Man, I am fired up. We have got a uh, guest today that I've been looking forward to for a while, Mr. Ryan Litz from Keller Williams Central, and I still want to call it Keller Edmund. I understand. How are you guys today? <laughs> awesome. Uh, we're doing great. So Ryan, you you know you've you've been in Edmond twenty five years. How long have you been in real estate? Been in real estate coming up on nineteen. All Edmond, all Keller. Uh, I was at Churchill Brown, a local independent back in the day, for about nine years. Right, and then I've been at Keller Williams Central since two thousand nine. Excellent. So about eleven years or so. Ken, have you ever been in Edmond? Ah, uh, just a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah. Kind of prefaced a, a previous conversation. Tell tell us when you were when you were in Edmond. Well, we moved to Edmond in 1960. So 1960. It's, it was it was a very different community at that point. It's come a long way since then. A lot more stoplights, right? A lot more stoplights. More than one. Yes. More than one. Yes. Well, Ryan, tell us a little bit about Edmond. What you see in the market up there, and and kind of what your vision is, maybe over the next five years, and in, in the growth of Edmond. You know, I. I started in 2003 in real estate, and over the years, as you see the growth in the metro in general, but but Edmond, for sure, as a suburb, um, the, the focus that they've had on, on the arts and on the statues that they've, you know, the pieces of artwork that they've been dedicating, and just the growth right now, especially in downtown Edmond, um, with restaurants and retail shopping and what I feel like is that they're trying to create more of a destination. So people that um, live in Edmond don't have to go to other cities in Oklahoma City, other suburbs to eat dinner or to shop. And so it's fun. It's exciting to see a lot of the new growth in, in e- even some multifamily uh, building downtown and, and along Boulevard area and a lot of the new restaurants and and options. So I see more of that, more of the establishment of of trails for biking, for walking, for running throughout throughout the Edmond area and just a, a different pockets of of uh development that you can even walk to and experience in a way that takes you back a little bit to to the maybe the downtown Edmond of of uh, 1960, <laughs> yeah. in some ways, uh, it's exciting. It's an exciting time to to see all the different growth. Do you see any of the growth going west? There is growth going west. I think right now uh, the big focus that I've experienced is is in the downtown area yeah. and yep. east toward east. the I-35 corridor. Right, right. A, a lot of development there. It's kind of slowed down a little bit during COVID, but um, I think. All, all, all the way west where it hits Deer Creek into Oklahoma City, there's definitely all the corners continue to, to develop and and uh, have opportunities for for eating, shopping, medical care, things like that. What do you think about the direction it's going? Do you think this is the direction Edmund should be going? You know, ironically, I was just recently on a task force of some sort with the city of Edmund, and they were they kind of did a, a survey and it was on a Zoom call of different people in different careers and different uh, walks of life, I guess, in Edmond to to ask those questions and and figure out 
along the I-35 corridor was their biggest focus and east of there to figure out what type of housing, what type of apartments or duplexes or, or retail establishments, all the different things that, that the citizens would want and would see. And I thought that was interesting because for the most part, I would say 75% were in agreement together. So as they would ask the questions, they would say, you know, at these certain locations, lower density, acreage lots, things like that. And on these other locations, higher density. So I was impressed by the fact that they're actually asking right. the community right. and asking the people who live there what they thought. And I like that process and think it's going in the right direction. Were you the only realtor on that panel? I'm sure I wasn't. I think they had yeah. different focus groups. I'm the only one I knew of on the one I was on, yeah. uh, but I know they had others scheduled. I just think that's smart because I, I know the people up in your office and, and a lot of realtors in Edmond, and they're very dialed into that mm-hmm. that growth and that market, and that's smart. That's well, smart. and you know, some people, not so much in real estate, but a lot of people are anti-growth, mm-hmm. and they want the old Edmond of, of mm-hmm. 1960 uh, or before, and you know, without growth, you know, that's a stagnant economy. And there's so many negatives that come with that. So I'm always for growth done the right way. And I think how better to do it than to get the opinions of the people yeah. who are, are living it and going to be paying the taxes for yeah, it. Yeah, you and get that buy-in, man. That's absolutely. crucial. Right. That was fun. Good. I, I'm I'm curious if I could to kind of go back and hear a little bit about how you got into real estate and a little bit about your background and, and how did you get into real estate? It's a good question. I grew up in a small town that, you know, real estate wasn't really an option. <laughs> <laughs> Things didn't sell for much. That Buffalo market's exactly. not, not heavy, huh? <laughs> exactly. Um, and I went to college at Oklahoma State and graduated with an accounting degree. And so my dad and my granddad were both in banking, and I thought the whole time I would go into into banking. As I was getting close to graduation, I decided to go the accounting route and moved to Oklahoma City and went to work in public accounting and did that for quite some time. And then I worked for an oil and gas company for a while and then decided that I wanted to be out and about in some sales type capacity. Uh, Considered pharmaceuticals, medical, uh, but I was always interested in real estate. I had aunt, an uncle who lived in San Antonio and Dallas, so when we would go to visit, my parents were enthralled with it too, and we would go with them. My, they had been realtors, actually, and we would go to open houses or pray to homes or whatever it might be. So I kind of grew up with some of that on an annual basis maybe. Well, my concern about real estate was the consistent income and being 100% commission and just the unpredictability on the, on the hours and days. And So my wife had a dream— she knew I loved real estate and knew I loved knowing where all the neighborhoods were. And she had a dream that I got my real estate license. And we had, we had two kids at the time. And really, with her encouragement, I decided to, to go ahead and get my license while I was still working. Because uh, what had happened was our company had sold. And I was able to kind of position myself in a weird way to have the opportunity for a severance package looking back, a very small severance package. <laughs> At the time, it seemed big. And uh, I went ahead and got my license during that time. So by the time I was transitioning out of that job, I was immediately live and was able to have some transactions that first month, really, where I put that some things rare. under contract. That's rare. But, and part of that was because I was able to plan. And so I knew I was going to do it. I knew what brokerage I was going to go with at that time. 
And so I stopped my first day, ironically, was April Fool's Day. So April 1 of 2003. And I had a couple of closings in May. So I was able to, as soon as I got into it, get a couple of deals under contract. And so it was a blessing. So it was a sequence of events. I had a little experience with family growing up, was in the financial world, and then just took the leap. And with my wife's encouragement, decided to go for it. And we're glad that you did. <laughs> yes, we are. So <laughs> Thank you. thinking back then, what systems did you use to drum up business? Word of mouth? You know, sphere of influence? I what? mean, to this day, I am more relational and referral-based and don't have even now a lot of true systems that I probably should have. Uh, back then, it was a notebook. It became a... Uh, spreadsheet of some sort, a Word document or something, just to start getting some addresses, uh, phone numbers, back then really not email addresses so much. And for me, it's always been relational, people I work with, people go to church with, and referrals, and then the repeat business now, after being in it almost 19 years, trying to maintain that repeat business. Um, I'm not real big on internet leads or cold calls or um, harvesting really anything that is not somebody that I know or has that I've been referred to. Right. Friend of a friend connection. Yeah. And that's a bit, you know, for me, that's the best kind. I love that kind of connection. And also it establishes an, an immediate trust to where real estate is hard. I mean, it is hard even with people that you know but it's even harder with people that you don't know. Mm -hmm. And so to already have that established, at least somebody trusted me, you know, if they referred, <laughs> if they referred me to somebody else or a family member or a friend, then there's an, an immediate trust that, that kind of starts and there's some respect up front. Uh, so, you know, there are times in any given year that, that if the business gets slow or whatever, I'll try different things and implement some different things. But at the end of the day, the core of my business is is relationship and, and referrals from those relationships. Well, I actually think we have benefited from that from you because I know firsthand you have spread to people around you about Lisa yeah, and, sure. and our culture and, and the way we do our business. And for that, thank you. Because I, I know you have referred us to, <laughs> to new people that come in that. And it's, it, it kind of goes, what do you say? It gives that trust level to that newer realtor or that person that's yeah. talking to you that trusts you that... Well, hey, Chicago I'll tell titles you, where we should go. My very first, when I put my first deal under contract, I saw Karen Blevins in the office, and I didn't know her very well, but I knew her name. And I said, I just got my first sale. Where do I send it? What do I do? <laughs> and she said, Liz Kalman, back then, you know, different company name. And uh, that's, I mean, literally, that was almost 19 years ago. And certainly there's been different realtors that, that I've mentored or, or had a relationship with over the years, and they ask that same question. And so I say the same thing, company, Chicago title. You know, depending on location, always you, your closers are, are top-notch, always. Thank you. So, but yeah, that's true. It's referral in, in for the business that I get, and it's a referral for the business that you get oftentimes, yeah, which it, is great. It, that you, you hit it on the head when you said it, it creates that level of trust. Mm -hmm. It really does. I wonder now, at this point in your career, and uh, you've, you've certainly been in a lot of situations and learned a lot of things about what it takes to be successful. But uh, if you had a chance to go back in time to 
the younger Ryan Litz and, uh, and give yourself some advice when you were first getting into real estate, that right after April 1st, when you first got into it, what would the current Ryan Litz have told the younger Ryan Litz? Mm, lots of things. Um, I think one would be take a deep breath and enjoy the ride and don't, don't um, stress when the business is slow. Don't stress when when the business has a rough patch or a transaction has a rough patch because 99.9% of the time it all works out just fine. I am a kind of a control guy and I like to be in control and like to ensure that the transaction goes as smoothly as possible. And, and that doesn't always happen no matter what I can do, no matter what anybody can do. So that would be one thing. Take a deep breath, enjoy the ride, enjoy the people of the ride. Um, don't be afraid to be more aggressive in your investment pursuits hmm. personally. Like Interesting. Don't wait till you know, you have to invest in something. Be more aggressive looking for opportunities along the way because that creates passive income. And I, I, I'm waited a long time before I really got in that, that world. Um, also thinking about just growth of my own database or team approach. I wish that I had taken that spreadsheet or that list, that hard copy, handwritten list, whatever, and really beefed it up earlier on with birthdays, with anniversaries, home anniversaries, wedding anniversaries, emails, cell phone, whatever I could get and really use that a little bit more to automatically create that some loyalty and that, you know, constant contact with people. Um, and then also not, I, I, I would have told myself, hey, grow faster, meaning don't worry about handling everything yourself allow your team or whatever to grow with the principles or with the, you know, the values that, that I have allow that to grow because there's been a lot of instances where it's, it's the ebb and the flow and the ebb sometimes is really hard and the flow is, it's hard for me to make changes in the ebb or the flow. If I'm in the flow, I'm too busy to even want to do that. And if I'm in the app, I'm like, Ooh, cause I'm a risk averse guy. I'm a CPA. So my background's yeah, accounting yeah. CPA. So, you know, my personality is, is more. So yeah, I wish, and I tell people that newer guys that, that get in the business and ask me questions. I tell them that try to tell them what I, what I've learned and what I would have done differently. There's, there's, you know, a lot of things that are positive about being consistent, but there's also some positives that I missed out on by being a little more, of a risk taker and a growth pursuer maybe instead of just kind of maintaining the status quo. Cause I always thought, Oh, if I change something, what if it does this? What if it does that? So, and I'm sure there's plenty more, but those are the, those are some of the first things that come to mind. Thank you. Was, was there ever a book along the way that you gravitated to or still gravitate to? Man, I'm not a book guy. Um, I think, before I got into real estate, um, I was, I had read some books and one that I think about back then was called Wild of Heart. And I was kind of, you know, getting into my thirties and going, ah, what do I want to do? What do I want to do when I grow up? That type of thing. And I felt like I was just stifled 
what I was doing and I was younger at the time and probably just more aggressive naturally. And um, as I've grown, I've done a lot of different, as I've grown in age, I guess I should say, um, I've done a lot of different leadership type deals, events. I've got a buddy who's a big leadership guy that, you know, I've done different things that he has put on over the years. And, and, um, but there's no specific book other than a lot of the stuff that Keller Williams now yeah. puts out that Gary Keller's written, The Millionaire Real Estate Agent, um, a lot of good nuggets in that. Although I, a lot of my business is not necessarily the textbook that it should be related to the MREA is what, is what they call. Uh, I think for me, it's more, I look for what other people are doing that are successful that I think are kind of like me or that I like. And just try to model certain things after that. Um, sometimes the hard way. You know, my son, who's 17, he, he's always talking about working smarter, not harder. And he, he will be a much smarter worker than I've been. I've, I've been a hard worker, but not always, <laughs> not always smart. You know, the old adage that, oh, well, yeah, I'm working, so business is going to come. Well, not necessarily. Not if you're doing the wrong things. That's right. And I probably have tended to go more the the uh, hard worker standpoint as opposed to, hey, what if I implemented that? That would save me this time. Then I could do this or I could have fun or whatever. So, Talk to me about the, the office up there in, in Edmond and how it's transitioned and grown. I mean, uh, what are you, over 300 agents now, 350? Yeah, it, you know, uh, definitely has, has had a lot of growth over the years that I've been there. Um, a lot of lot of production for our state comes out of that office for sure. Um, you know, this year has been unique with the pandemic, and and so a lot of people are working from home, as you guys have experienced, I'm sure. And just trying to figure out how to really keep the camaraderie to a certain level when you can't be in person or you can't. <laughs> We have that conversation I'm often, sure. Ken and I do, I'm about sure. our culture is so important. And, and I know, you know, Keller's culture is amazing, and it is. It's a challenge to figure out how to do those things. And I'm sure most companies are, you know, encountering that right now. Because Zoom is awesome to a certain degree, but then there's, I think at first it was really exciting, and then kind of lost some of his luster, and you were doing, I would do other things. I'd be on a Zoom call, turn the video off, turn the, <laughs> mute it. <laughs> And do what I need to do while I'm on the Zoom call and then not really benefiting. So, but overall, it's a great office, ton of experience, um, a lot of respect uh, with the people that I see on a regular basis, our leadership, our staff, um, great desire to uh, just be plugged in to the community, be plugged in to the Oklahoma City market, the state market, just in general to, to make a difference. And uh, when, I, when I left my previous company, I, for me, there was no other company that I would go to at that time. You know, I wanted to go somewhere where I felt like in the market that I sold in, the top people were at. And right. in 2009, for sure, when I looked around, that's, that's what I saw. And so it's a very you know, professional place and people are there to, to have a career and to provide and, and to serve and not to mess around with a hobby. You know, it's not like most in our office are not selling real estate as a hobby. They're selling real estate as a career, which is what I have done, you know, and not what I have to do. So 
you know, one of the people that we've got earmarked to be on this podcast someday is Susan. Can you can you just elaborate on Susan and and what she's meant to you in your career? Yeah, she's she's a great great lady. She she possesses a unique uh, couple of things, and one is she's very extroverted, very gregarious, funny storyteller, but also very knowledgeable and detail oriented when it comes to the contracts and the business. And her background, she was a teacher. And so she brings that history to teaching realtors. And she was even, we had a, we had a Zoom meeting this morning and she shared a couple of things that I thought that is so true about the repair process of a contract. And, and she is someone, and that's another thing that, that I have said to many people is if I ever have an issue in real estate and there's been a, f- a handful of times that it got really significant for me in my mind, there's nobody else I'd rather have in my corner to defend or to advise or to encourage than her. And she just is a unique, I don't know that there's anybody else like her in the real estate market with her personality, but also her understanding and her desire to understand and to explain the contracts, the transactions, the personalities that are involved. She's, she's definitely an amazing leader and, and teacher. Well, leadership matters and, and the growth of that office. And, uh, it's so indicative of her, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can remember back when I first met her and not many people intimidate me. She intimidated me. She really did. Now that I've got well, to she's know kind her. she's kind of tall, too. <laughs> well, now that I've got to know her, she's one of the just absolute coolest people you could ever yeah. meet in this market. You know, right. her knowledge is just amazing, and, and she'll take the time, you know. She will. It's just not, not bigger than the moment. You know? I agree in her energy, too. Yeah. I think that's, that's her, yeah, that's, that's a word, her energy and enthusiasm. And I think we, we gave her a gift for a special birthday she had recently, our office did, and we, we marked a, let's see, we put a Post-it on the letter of the alphabet that we thought of when we thought of her, and then we wrote the word from the dictionary. So we put it in the dictionary, wrote the word that means, and I think I put, I'm pretty sure I put inspire, that she's inspires. She inspires me. She inspires her office. She inspires those around her. So. While we're talking about that, um, a lot of people have people who have served as role models for them or mentors for them in the past. And, and certainly it sounds like Susan has, has been both of those things for you. Any other mentors or role models or coaches that have had an influence on your career? Yeah, definitely. When I first got in the business, um, Monty Churchill was definitely a mentor from the time that I started up until I, I changed companies. But he always was... And that's part of the reason I went, my, a meeting that I had with him back in 2003 was a, a reason I went to Churchill Brown originally. And he just always was a huge, huge mentor, not so much on the transactional side, but on the life side, on the, we had, had a lot of similar beliefs about faith and family and just a real, always had a positive thing to say and, and a positive outlook and, and still does. I mean, to this day he does. Um, I think different, I think that for sure would be one of the strongest. 
and Susan would be one of the strongest. We've had uh, non-real estate related, you know, different people in in my life, friends and and pastors, uh, that I always look for. Here's the way I think. I don't want, I always have to think positive and have to stay as optimistic as I can because I feel like real estate now more than ever is more difficult than it's ever been. And I could be negative every day about a past client who used a different realtor who just got their license or, um, you know, a transaction that busted because of such and such, whatever it might be. So I, I like to be inspired or encouraged by people who focus on the positive and who focus on, you know, how to, how to make the lemonade a lemon or whatever, whatever that saying is. And, uh, whether it's a podcast or whether it's a, uh, uh, like I said, I'm not really a book guy, but, uh, but I like short kind of inspiring type stories and things like that. Um, so when I come across those or I see those, those are always little nuggets of encouragement for me. Yeah. yeah. You, I think you said that the real estate business is as hard now as it's ever been. I'd like for you to tell us more. Okay. When I got in the business, um, there certainly weren't as many realtors. And there weren't that many less transactions. So that's kind of crazy if you think about it. There were... I did an analysis a couple years ago. I think there were, you know, maybe half as many realtors and maybe 10% less transactions. Oh, wow. Across the metro. Yeah. And that may be off, but just the relationship is the same. A lot more realtors. So, you know, I think with the changes in our industries with oil and gas and, and COVID and just different things that have happened, a lot of people have gotten their license. And some are doing it to supplement part-time income, supplement uh, retirement income, whatever it might be. So, Part of it is the fact that there's so many more people that are still fighting for about the same pie. Um, part of it is technology. The technology has just created all this information to everyone um, that they have access to all the time. Websites, Zillow, Redfin, Realtor.com, whatever it might be. And so people come into a transaction with a lot more information. They may or may not trust me to mm-hmm. provide any more value, which is difficult. Um so the number of realtors, the technology that's available, the expectations that we're all under, you guys in this room too, with our access to our phone and our email constantly, because there's no set hours in real estate, you know, it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, if you don't set some boundaries. And that's hard. And with technology being so, when I first started, it was a pager. So I had a pager on my belt and... I would get a text message, and then whenever I had a break, I could go to a phone and call. Well, now everything is coming through this thing 24 hours a day. So that's that's challenged because the expectation is immediate. Immediate. And if you don't respond, somebody will because there's, like I said, twice as many people doing 10% more of the work. But um, And I think just with the world events, whether it's the uncertainty of the election or with COVID or – the earthquakes when we were having them or the oil and gas market being down, whatever it is, the stress that people are under is is so much more challenging, certainly than when I first started, that this is the biggest purchase most people will make 
in their life. And so the stress that they're under when they're purchasing a home is greater than it's ever been. And I'm the one kind of helping them navigate that, which means I get to experience some of that stress with them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think all of those are probably the top four. I'm sure there's more. I feel that when people get in the business and they call me, like people that I know or whatever, and they ask me questions, I try to be honest with them. Would I have gotten into it today had the situation been the same back when I got into it? No, I, w- I honestly wouldn't have. If I had known, like if, if I were brand new today, I probably would say, I think I'll keep my... Uh, <laughs> Keep my stable job for a little while longer because it's just so different back then. And maybe it was age, you know, I was younger, who knows. But I do feel like it's a lot more challenging to su- succeed at it right now at you, a higher level. You mentioned technology. Do you, how do you feel about technology and the way that it's kind of, I mean, I've seen, and I've seen both sides of it with some inaccuracies with certain sites that are out there that... Right that don't update their information and I can put myself in your shoes and maybe I get four calls in a day from a listing on a certain website that was sold six months ago and is no longer available. I mean, you know, bad technology is, is not a good thing, but I'm, I'm curious, how do you view technology? You know, it's inevitable. And so I'm not a shiny object guy. Like I don't chase the shiny objects. And, and so if it's a proven release of new technology, whatever, then eventually I'll chase it but I'm not the early adopter. I'm not the early implementer. And it, it is what it is. It's kind of like, it's kind of like growth in a city at times, you know, part of it's good, part of it's bad. There's congestion, there's pollution, all the different things, but change is inevitable and technology is inevitable. Growth's inevitable, or it means there's stagnation. And, and so as I get older, it's harder to want to adopt new technology and, understand it as quickly maybe as I used to but but I think overall there's a lot of amazing things that that are coming out technologically we just have to I have to remember it's still about the relationship it's still about the referral that person it's not about the Zillow lead it's not a, for me maybe right. it's about that for some people but for me it's I, I it's not about Zillow lead or the Redfin lead or the artificial intelligence that everybody's working on it still goes back to the basic relationship. And that, that component will never change with never humans. Never will. And there, it, there's too, it's too important to us right. and, and our nature. Right. So I have to remind myself of that at times because there is so much new technology that comes out. And you know, you're always encouraged the latest and the greatest. Well, do this and do that. Well, that's time and that's effort and sometimes money. And there's only so many hours in a day. And honestly, I don't want to waste it. I don't want to waste it on stuff that's not going to be successful. This is probably a good time uh, for us to ask, uh, seeing the trends that you've seen in the years you've spent in real estate, kind of where do you see things going in the next five years? So many different thoughts. I think that our market, and I'm talking about the Oklahoma City market, is strong and will continue to grow in that it's such a great quality of life and we have so many opportunities and just the the, the leaders of, of the city in general have had great vision of growth and, and security. So I think overall market-wise will be strong. Um, I think stylistically there's always things that change and it'll be interesting. We've kind of gone through this big modern farmhouse, uh-huh. white, 
phase. Everything's painted white, outside, inside, everything. It'll be interesting to see what that is like five years from now. I'm sure we'll switch Mm -hmm. back around to Stain and some old world and French country. Um, I think that the demographics and the ages of people purchasing, you know, as as baby boomers get older and as millennials get, everybody kind of changes seasons of purchasing Mm -hmm. power. It'll be interesting to see. I go back and forth on the big house versus the small house and what people are doing. You know, we've seen, we saw such a huge surge of inner city, if you will, demand closer to the downtown Oklahoma City area. As COVID has hit, I've seen not so much a fling of that, but a big demand for the land even more so, the larger lots, having some room to ride a four-wheeler or have a garden or have some animals if you're going to be stuck at home. And so I feel like there's been a bigger demand for for the larger lots than there were for a while, maybe some of the suburban growth. Uh, So it'll be interesting. I think it all depends on so many different factors in the future, but I don't see any reason why our market here middle, you know, of America with the cost of living we have and, and, and really the opportunities that we have here, we're, we've seen, I've seen this year, a lot of people from California, from Colorado, mm-hmm. from other liberal states, I would say, that, you know, maybe aren't going in the direction that they wanted it to go, they are coming to Oklahoma because it's just, a, it's, it's less costly, it's less drama, uh, more personal freedom, in some ways, and yeah. and I don't see that changing, which is exciting. That's something not. I know. Well, yeah, definitely. Well, and and along that line, if if you had a direct line to the city and state leaders, uh, what advice would you give them? Hmm. Wow, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know. I think that business is what creates wealth, what creates stability, what creates personal, you know, the ability to get ahead or the ability to to do the things you want to do, education. And so definitely, I mean, walking through this pandemic has been something that none of us have experienced. And it's such a fine line between protecting the health versus um, not ending the economic life of, of many people that have small businesses or large businesses or whatever it is. So I think I would say, you know, be very cautious in the true hard and set boundaries that you put on business as it is the baseline of our economy and of people's livelihoods. And yes, encourage health, encourage boundaries with that. But we are all individuals. We all make those decisions based on our convictions, based on our situations, and just be really sensitive on on passing rules and guidelines down to the masses that affect more than you want them to affect. It's That's a, a good fine answer. line. A good answer. I would never want to be a politician, though. <laughs> Thank you. you in would, these situations, you would make a good one. By Ooh. the way, you mm-hmm. really would. Thank you. But. Well, I want to take the conversation just for a second back to technology, just so you yep. know, and, and our listeners know. Yesterday, we were able to push out our uh, mobile deposit for uh, earnest money. So awesome! So moving forward, your buyers will be able to 
log in through their start safe email that they get with Love every that. open transaction and mobily deposit their earnest money, mm-hmm. which uh, we, you could get a, a notification and a receipt of that immediately, which well, is amazing. Uh, there's the little parts of technology that we try in our world to really push out there to make your job easier. You mm-hmm. know, that's, that's the whole goal of everything we do. Mm, I love that. So I, I wanted to make sure we circle back and, and kind of filled you and everybody that listens in. Uh, we've, we've got another app coming right after this that uh, is in the implementation stage right now to, as, it, as I've heard it be called, uh, the pizza delivery app, where you will be able to get a notification to see every single transaction you have with us and where it is within our uh, system. Awesome. So yeah, by push note, it's very Facebook, uh, Twitter ish where mm-hmm. you can scroll down and, and what looks like each post is each one of your properties that you have working with us. Mm. It's kind of, kind of neat. So we're, we're building it right now. We're trying to put a lot of thought into it as far from the realtor looking in what is beneficial and what helps you on the go, you know, so you don't have to stop, make a phone call, send an email, push those notifications out. So love that. Yeah, I hope so. I, I mean, we're really, really trying uh, this company that we work for fidelity national financial has has reached out to us here in oklahoma to be a beta you mm-hmm. know to kind of help build this thing for the rest of the country mm-hmm. and i take such pride in that you know uh you look at our operation here and we've through 2020 we've we've just had so much success uh building and and, and compounding the things that we've been trying for years and i just kind of feel like it's it's paying off you know mm-hmm. and it just and just really drives me to try harder and, and to, to not let the train stop, you know, keep it going. I even think back when when COVID first hit and you guys were doing, I feel like, on the very front lines of the RON, the remote yeah. notaries, and just kind of watching that unfold for those that needed it mm-hmm. and not knowing which direction all this was going to go, that was amazing. Yeah, you know, and, and I really, speaking of RON, I really hope that Fannie and Freddie, the, the, the entities that give most of the money, right. We'll figure out how to get uh, the digital signature approved for those transactions so we can really reach towards a future right. of digital, you know, where, where we're looking at something where you could be at home and, and be able to Close. Know, uh, <laughs> authenticate who you are. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, and I get where they're coming from because making sure we know who's actually signing the documents, making sure we right. know who's selling the property, right? making sure, you know, the, the, the hackers out there, the the crooks that try to steal everybody's uh, money and business and properties and, you know, to, to figure out a way to protect against that and make people, you know, give them access to that technology that works right and, mm-hmm. and is safe. That's the future that I really look forward to because I think it will happen. Mm-hmm. I think 2020 to. opened the eyes of so many people, especially in our industry, mm-hmm. to how can we make that happen and uh, how can we make it happen safely and securely you know, wire fraud is such a pandemic, epidemic, pandemic. I don't know what you want to say. Um, I'm kind of sick of that word, too. <laughs> yeah, let's but, use a different one. <laughs> but it's just become so rampant, you know, and, and the crooks are becoming so uh, ingenious in their mm-hmm. methods. Uh, I think it may stifle that a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. trying to figure out the defensive side of how to stop it. But that not technology's here, and like you mm-hmm. said, it's not going away. Mm-hmm. It's only going to grow, and... Uh, you know, my my thoughts is how can we use it best to our advantage to help our clients? So, well, like you were, Ken, as you said, I think even before we started this today, the things that we're going to keep around once the pandemic subsides were the things that we want to go back to normal. And a lot of the things, people working from home, closing remotely, I mean, things that are going to really be more efficient long term, 
I think this has opened our eyes oh, and yeah. opened a lot of companies. I went, oh, this worked mm-hmm. and it saved us money and we don't have to employ whatever on site. Don't have to keep such and such mm-hmm. a lease, whatever it might be. But it is, it has been a unique uh, time to be forced to experience some things yeah. <laughs> that yeah. some have been good yeah. and, and will continue. I'm sure. Brian, um, We've asked you and talked about a lot of different things today. Is there something we haven't asked you that people should know about you? Um, sure. I mean, I think I haven't really talked about my family or personal. Um, my wife and I have been married almost 26 years, and uh, we were high school sweethearts, so she wasn't from Buffalo. <laughs> and uh, we have four kids. One, our oldest is married, and so we have a son-in-law now, and... Uh, so our youngest is 14 and, you know, it's, it's been a, a life of, um, doing, when I think about when my wife and I graduated from college and then got married and moved here, uh, you look back and you think, well, what did we expect or what did we, well, I never thought we'd have four kids. Like in my mind two was going to be the number and, and seeing all the different opportunities we'd had over the years, we've hosted, we fostered twins, we've. Um, hosted international students several different times in our home. Um, and looking back, that's been amazing because it, it expands our own kids' minds to think outside of our own selves and their own selves. And not that it's always easy. It's not. <laughs> but like our oldest who's married, she and her husband are, are going through the fostering application process now. So oh, that's nice. That's cool. I, I, you know, I feel like part of what she saw when she was younger growing up in our home has created the desire that she and her husband have to, to pass that blessing on to, to those that are less fortunate. Um, and uh, just thinking about the different things that we've had the opportunity to, been, to be involved with, we're now kind of getting into some rental properties and Airbnb type mm-hmm. scenarios. So my wife's handling a lot of that. Our daughter is property managing some of that. So that's been a whole new world the last few years from an Airbnb standpoint, nightly rentals, but it's been fun too. And it's, uh, you kind of able to get to know people to a certain degree. My wife loves that aspect and communicate, but yet you're not necessarily hosting them in your own home. Right. right. So those are just a couple of things, the, the personal, personal side to, to me. And, and, you know, you always go back to the big why, and that's one thing a lot of leadership training is about. And what Carol Williams teaches on is in order to, succeed at a high level, you've got to have a big why. What is that big why? And for me, it's wanting provision for my family and also wanting them to be able to go beyond what I ever did or my wife ever did and have impact on people, have, you know, security financially, whatever that might be. But my wife, for sure, has been providing uh, a life you know, of, of, uh, not just financial, but the whole, whole aspect for, for those that are entrusted to me and, uh, having faith in, you know, a, a Christian faith in that process that, um, guides our decisions and guides our, um, relationships and what we're involved in, what we're not involved in and, and what we want ultimately for our future. So. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Ryan, we like to wrap our podcasts up with 
the same question with everybody, and uh, it's it's a simple one, and it's not exactly tied to Chicago Title. It's kind of an in general. What do you look for in a title company when you choose one? For me, uh, I look for uh, efficiency, for uh, trust, for um, quickness. You know, it's that aspect of I will drive as far as I have to drive to close with who I think is the best. That creates an experience for me and my clients that they end the sale or buy process in the most incredible way they can. So for me, I don't care where it is. If I have to drive, and I do drive quite a ways. (laughs) 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 Um, but But I feel like I don't have to worry about the title side. There's enough that I have to deal with on the financing and the inspections and just the personal personality side that if I can eliminate that stress and and that is directly tied into Chicago title for me, if I have the ability to control the transaction and control who handles the closing, it is always going to be a Chicago title. I can't say thank you enough. Uh, Thank you for your time. Thank you for your friendship. And uh, thank you for everything you've done for Chicago title. I want to make sure everybody knows it really does make a difference where you close.